This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. So how is everybody doing? Good. How many of you had some vacations so far in July? How many of you are having vacation in August? Please say yes. <laughs> Got some vacation, hopefully. Um, just a couple things before we uh, start with our series this morning. I just wanted to say thank you for the, to the church staff that have done an amazing job uh, over the last month, especially Tyler and Ellen preaching to you over those three weeks. They did an amazing job, didn't they? So good. And I just wanted to publicly say how good our church staff, you know, if you're here and this is your church and you've been here for a while, it's not like you're comparing one church staff to another. But, you know, we have a very uh, fantastic group of young people dedicated uh, to the cause of Christ and to the church. They work really hard. They do a lot of things that you never see um, during the week. And I just wanted to publicly thank them. They have done an amazing job holding the fort over the past month. And I love them. And you should love them, too. So let's thank them this morning. Uh, we had, uh, and also I had a chance uh, to go to church again uh, with my family, uh, a church that I didn't have anything to do with organizing. And every time I go to church, I'm like, I don't know why people don't do this every week. It's so easy. You show up, you worship, you give an offering, listen to message, you go home. It's so easy, people. Just come every Sunday. I highly recommend it. Uh, we had the chance uh, to go visit my friend's church in Arizona. We were there visiting Nicole's family for the first uh, 10 days or so of July. Uh, can I make a recommendation? If you're going to Phoenix, don't go in July. <laughs> One day it was 46 degrees with no humidity. So I'm like, yeah, but it's a dry heat. Still, it's way too hot. You walk outside and it's like you're walking into an oven. But we got to visit uh, Nicole's family. Uh, Nicole's brother's wife had a baby a couple months ago, so we got to spend time with our, our, our new niece. And as we mentioned before, you know, uh, Nicole's mother had been uh, facing some health challenges for the last uh, year or so. So I'm just reminding you, if you wouldn't mind continuing uh, to pray for her. She's definitely doing a lot better, but she had to have another procedure last week. But she is always blessed to know that you are praying for her. So her name is June, sweetest lady in the world. So uh, if I, we could just covet your prayers that you continue uh, to pray for her, uh, that God would continue to do a work of healing in her life. All right. And uh, the last thing I want to say, what is, what is always good to realize when you go away, is that the church is not about any one person. The church is not about preachers or a preacher or a famous preacher or an infamous preacher. Uh, the church is actually about Jesus. And the church will continue long after all of us are gone because the church is about Jesus and what he has done for us, for us. And so we should celebrate that every Sunday and be so thankful for what God has done for us in Christ. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Amen. All right, so turn with me in your Bibles today to Philippians chapter 1, and let me remind you again that we have note paper there at the Connect Bar that you can grab on your way in. I encourage you to take notes, not just because I'm the one doing the speaking, uh, but what we trust for and pray for and ask God for is that God will be speaking to your hearts as we are ministering the word here at the City Church. And we don't want you to forget those things. And so as God is speaking those things to your heart by the Spirit, 
write those things down so you don't lose them, you don't forget them, and then you can uh, remember either a verse or a thought so that you can use it in your life. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So in other words, we have a moment of salvation. We have a moment when we say yes to Jesus. But God is faithfully continuing to do stuff on the inside of us. The series is called Promises, Promises. Does anyone remember that song from the 80s? Promises, Promises. You're dating yourself. All right. Uh, and what we're going to be discussing and understanding is the language of promise from the scripture. This sounds like a promise that God is going to be doing something in us. Not just one time, but he's going to continue to do something in us till we die, pass away, and go see Jesus until he returns, or if he returns, when he returns, I should say. So God is going to be doing something in us constantly. And this is what we would need to know and understand and cooperate with this promise. It's called sanctification, that God is continuing to do something in us throughout our lives uh, every day, all of the time, he's setting us apart for his purposes. And we all need this. We all need to know that this promise is true, that we all are continuing to grow and be changed. That the most spiritual person you know is not complete. They're not perfect. They're, they haven't arrived yet, including myself, that all of us are growing and changing. And here's a promise in the scripture that God is continuing to change us. And this is good news for us. This is um, a good understanding about life, that where we're at in life right now, God is going to continue uh, to change us and to move us forward. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He loves us, and his love is complete right now, and he, he's not going to love you less. Or he's not going to love you anymore. But he's continuing to change us. Because he does love us, he promises to change us because we need to change and we need to grow. The scripture is telling us that he is completing something on the inside of us. The word promise means this. A declaration by one person to another that something will or will not be done. Giving the person to whom it is made the right to expect the performance of whatever has been specified. So God has made a declaration that he's continuing to do something on the inside of us. God's word is good. You know, sometimes we might struggle uh, to keep our promises uh, because of our humanity, because we might forget, because of a thousand different reasons. We struggle sometimes to keep our promises. Hey, I'm going to meet you at this uh, place. We're going to have coffee together. And then you forget. And then you, what did you do? You broke your promise. Or you're going to be there at this time. Um, and then you got stuck in traffic and then you broke your promise. And the thing, the great thing about God it is impossible for God to lie. So God doesn't break his promises. He makes his promises to us. But the question is, are we going to choose to walk in the promises of God? Because he's made a declaration. His word is good. Are we going to choose to operate in and to cooperate with the mind and will and purposes of God for our lives? So as I would see in the scripture, the promises of God kind of fit into two broad categories. Um, one of the promises that we would see that something God has given and is giving to all mankind 
because of the provision of Jesus Christ. So these, this is all of the areas of life that God provides for his children, physical and spiritual, and all of the ways that you can imagine that God is a provider. That he is revealed in the Old Testament, one of the names of God, that he is our provider. So God makes provision for us. And then all we have to do is trust God with the timing part. Now we're going to focus more on that next Sunday. But today we're going to be focusing on this other idea of the promises of God in in Scripture. God actively gives us what we need. And then he gives us what we need to do or how we need to act. This is a promise from the scripture. Now, how would we understand this idea? Well, for all of you parents out there, you know, when you're, when you are promising your children something like this, it sounds like this. Hey, I promise you, I know you're having a hard time right now in this job and it's difficult, but I promise you, if you stay faithful and you show up on time and if you do your best work in the long run, I promise you it's going to be good for you. That's a promise about how to act. And then there's another side of the promise. And it sounds like this. I promise you, if you keep up with this attitude and with these actions and with these words, I promise you, you're going to be in trouble. And that's what the promises of God are like as it relates to what we do. That God makes a promise to us and then he has something for us, ways for us to live. So we should cooperate with the promises of God and understand what those promises are. Hey, this thing, this attitude, this way of being is going to be a problem for you. Hey, so we're going to avoid those things. And then the ways God is asking us to act, if we align with those things, if we choose those things, we are going to experience the benefits of the promises of God as it relates to how we act. Now, both are very, very important. You know, it's easy to get stuck on maybe the one where where God is providing something for you, whether physical or spiritual. You know, we like those things and we can experience those things and we can have those things. And then we could just maybe get stuck on that idea of the promises of God. But the equal importance is God is promising us that he is going to tell us ways to live. We We sang about the faithfulness of God. And this is one of the ways that God is faithful to be constantly speaking to us about our lives, constantly showing us the way ahead according to his thoughts, according to his principles. So what are the promises of God? How do we understand what the promises of God? How do we decipher uh, what those things are? Now, Jesus gives us a great hint in John chapter 10. So let's turn over there. John chapter 10, uh, some very famous words that Jesus speaks. But it helps us to understand the nature of the promises of God. Because that's really important because sometimes we could be experiencing something in life and we think, oh, God is giving me this thing or God is causing this thing to happen in my life. We might think, well, this is something that maybe God promised me or that's something that's coming from the personality of God. But Jesus helps us to understand, uh, to differentiate what might be the promises of God and what doesn't actually come from God. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Everybody say good. Good. What kind of shepherd is Jesus? 
He's a good shepherd. So as he's leading us and guiding us, he's leading us into good things. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus said he came that we would have life and we would have it more abundantly. Now, the word abundant here in this verse means this. Something further means superior. It means extraordinary. It means surpassing. It means uncommon. It means more remarkable or more excellent. So in other words, where you are right now, there's more life for you to live. A more excellent life. A more superior life. That you haven't arrived in the best season of your life yet. That God is always, according to the words of Jesus, moving us in to the abundant life. And this should be good news for us. I mean, especially if we're at a difficult time, this is not the end. That Jesus came that we would have abundant life, a more excellent life, a superior life, better than the one that we live right now. Now, this is so important for us to understand that this verse, the, the thoughts here in verse 10, very simple, very short, but it's very profound. Because I I think people get lost in the philosophy of life many times and they kind of miss out on some things. And it comes out like this with this phrase. Everything happens for a reason. Now, if you say this phrase, we can still be friends. But after I'm about to talk, you're not going to say this phrase anymore. Because what people mean a lot of times when they say this phrase is they're trying to make sense of the pain. They're trying to make sense of the difficulty of this thing happened. Well, you know, I, I didn't expect this, but everything happens for a reason. And what, what is being said was the underlying idea, what that statement is, is that there is some sort of mind causing everything to happen in my life. And this thing, whether it be negative or hard or difficult or something I don't actually even want, this thing that is stealing, killing, and destroying me, is somehow from the mind and heart of God. But Jesus differentiates these two things for us profoundly and importantly. You know, in the Old Testament, we might look at the ancients and we would say, and and we would read the Old Testament, and they attributed everything to God. They would look at storms and earthquakes and all of these things, and they would see these things as the hand of God causing all of this negativity, all of these negative things, But the scripture tells us that the full understanding of God, the best understanding of God that we have in the scripture is Jesus himself. Not Moses, not some earthquake, not Abraham, but Jesus. And so Jesus here in these verses differentiates the personality or the person of God from negative things that would happen in our life. Let's read it again. The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy who is the thief the thief is the enemy is the thief god no because jesus the next word says god in the flesh god's son says i have come separating himself and god from the things that steal kill and destroy so we have to get it straight We have to understand what the promises of God are because the things that steal from us kill our lives, kill our relationships, destroy our lives, destroy our relationships. Those things are not from God and should be resisted. Let me tell you how this philosophy doesn't work out in practical sense. You know, it sounds good. It makes us feel good. Well, everything happens for a reason. And I saw a meme one time that says this. Everything happens for reasons. Yeah. And sometimes that reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. 
Sometimes we just make really stupid decisions. Well, everything's happening for reasons. Well, don't do the reason of the stupid thing. You know, many years ago when my daughter was about two or three years old, she was sitting at a, a toy table that we had for her, one of those plastic things, and she was messing around. And just like a good parent said, hey, if you keep messing around, you're going to fall. I promise you, if you keep messing around on that chair, you're going to fall. And soon after that, she leaned forward in this plastic chair and she hit her head on the table right in the eye and her eye started to bleed. Now, what did I say as a parent in that moment to my two-year-old daughter? Sorry, babe, everything happens for a reason. Is that what I said? No, what did I do? We went to emergency. See, it doesn't actually hold that the phrase doesn't actually mean anything. Like I said, we try to make sense of the pain. We try to make sense of life by saying that. But let's not try to make sense with some empty philosophy. Let's do and say what Jesus said. To understand that the nature and person of God brings to us the abundant life. The life that is superior or excellent. See, we know we're going to face negativity. We know we're going to face negativity because we do make stupid decisions sometimes. Anyone out there want to admit it? Anybody made any stupid decisions? Yes, all of us. And so there's consequences. And then we live in a broken world. The whole story of the scripture is the world isn't the way it should be. And then Jesus gives us the most obvious answer. The thief, the enemy of God comes to steal kill and destroy. So everything that happens to you is not from the mind and heart and personality of God. Let's get it straight so that we can align ourselves with the thing that God has for us. And then we can resist the things that he doesn't want for us that don't align with the promises of God. So what did I do with my daughter? who's bleeding. We went to emergencies. Anyone ever gone to emergency with your children? This is not a fun experience, and it's like six hours longer than you want it to be. But we don't fall back on, well, you know, honey, everything happens for reasons. Just bleed out. No, we stop the bleeding. That's a good metaphor for life, for the good life. Stop the bleeding. When, when, when something is causing you to bleed out in every sense of the word, even actions you're taking, stop the bleeding, do something else. Why? Because God has a more excellent life for all of us. And that's the life that he wants us to walk in. And that's the life he wants us to know that he gives us. Hey, there's blessing and cursing. What does he say in the Old Testament? Choose life. The life that God has for us. And this is the life we desire as it relates to what God tells us to do. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this. Skipping one verse, guys. I realized that this message was way too long this morning in the middle of first service. You know, when, you don't get to, when a preacher doesn't get to preach for five weeks, we're like, I got to make up for lost time. I have way too many verses, but we'll figure this out, all right? Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Whose word? God's word. God's word. What, what, is, what is a word? A word is a container of thoughts and ideas. And we want God's thoughts 
and ideas for the road ahead for me. That is where the abundant life is. Not just what I think, but God's thoughts. It's going to light my path. It's going to illuminate my way. God's word. The God who provides and desires for me to experience more life, superior life, more excellent life. Because why? Because that's, that's the life that comes from his person. That's the life that comes from his personality, from his promises. And he wants us to walk that out. Just by doing the right things, saying the right thing, making the right choice. See, those, those are nothing to do with receiving something from God. That's just walking in the wisdom of God. God promises to give us his word. We should desire his word. We should desire his thoughts, his ways, his purposes for my life. And just move beyond just my desires. Just, just what I want, just what I think is good in the moment, or just my emotions, because we know that our emotions can, can be like a roller coaster. Does anyone want to admit that today? Do your emotions ever go up and down? We're like up and we're excited, and then we're like, you know, on the bottom of the roller coaster, it's like really bad, really down, and then it, sometimes in that moment, we're making like huge life decisions based on the emotions we're feeling. We've got to move beyond that. We've got to transcend that idea. And have the word of God lead us forward. God's thoughts, his purposes, his ways. What do they do? They light my path. They illuminate the way so that I can walk in the life that God has for me. Matthew chapter 6 verse 11 says this in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread in this time represented, you know, sort of the basic meal, the thing, the sustenance for your life, the thing that would help you survive. Most likely every day they ate bread. I'm not sure if it was gluten-free, but they ate it every day. The thing that sustains them. And what do we know and understand about food, natural food? What does it do? It gives us energy. It helps us physically walk out life. Now, Jesus is giving it a spiritual idea. We, what do we need? We need some bread from God. That's nothing to do with physical bread. Something that will give me energy. Something that will sustain me. Something that will inspire me. We all need to be inspired to live an inspiring life. Where is that inspiration going to come from? Just my desires? Just my wants? Just what I like? Or is it going to come from something uh, beyond that, it's going to come. The inspired life is going to come from the word of God. It's going to light my path. It's going to help me to make the right choice. It's going to help me to have the right attitude. It's going to help me to say the right thing. Because I promise you, all of those things will help you to live an abundant life. And so this should be our daily desire God, I want today's daily bread, inspiration. This another word, how we breathe in. That's called inspiration. But beyond those physical things, we need inspiring ideas. 
how to live a life of meaning and purpose, and all of those things are going to come from the Word of God, His thoughts, His ways, His idea. Man, they're beyond mine, and they're beyond yours. They're better. They are words of abundant life. So let's desire it every day. Like I said, we, like I've said before, you know, we never want to read the word of God in a religious manner. In other words, you know, it's great if you're, you know, reading through the Bible in a year or whatever the case may be. Those are all good things to do. But sometimes we can read just like I'm going to read a chapter today. I'm going to read two chapters today. And we never stop and think the thoughts of God. You would be better not to do that than to stop and think, okay, what's the scripture I can think about right now? What's something that I can think about, a principle from the word of God that I can stop and consider it and then incorporate it into my life, incorporate it into my words and thoughts and actions. Now, I'm not against Bible reading. That's not the point. The point is that we're supposed to be thinking about what we read. We're supposed to be thinking about the ways of God, the promises of God, the life of God. All those things will illuminate our way. And light our path. And these, this is the best way to make decisions. Not in emotional upheaval. Not when you're in the middle of some difficult circumstance. Okay, I, I'm going to settle. I'm going to calm down now. Okay, God, I, I want to think your thoughts. God, I, I need today's daily bread. I need the thing that's going to inspire me in this moment. I I need the thing that's going to help me in my marriage in this moment. God, I need the daily bread for this. God, my parenting right now, I'm struggling with this child and where they're at in this season of life. God, I need your daily bread for this moment, for this time. God, God, I'm struggling, you know, in my job and I'm a little bit uneasy. I'm a little bit unsettled. But I'm just not not going to jump out and do something else. I'm going to calm down. I'm going to settle down. And God, I want to think your thoughts. I need today's daily bread for my career, for my job. It should be the thing that we desire most. The ideas we desire most should not be political ones. I'm happy. Have all the political ideas you want. Be whatever, on whatever side of the aisle you want. But God's thoughts are way better than any politician that you can dream or think. We want God's thoughts and ways for our lives. Not something that's just dictated to us by culture. And this is what Jesus is implying in the Lord's Prayer. Is like this is actually a promise. This is something we can ask for. This is something that we can have and experience. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. We'll finish here with this story. It's a very famous story in the scripture. And this guy that we're going to read about, he's called in the scripture the rich young ruler. And his story is found in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three different times he is mentioned. It's a very interesting story. And what we see happens in this story is that Jesus deals with this specific person. He's at a very specific place in his life. And then the the disciples are there and they're watching on and they're a little bit confused by what Jesus is saying. And, but what's great about this story is that Jesus talks to this guy and he says to the guy what he needs to hear, not just what he wants to hear. 
And how many of you know that's the most important thing as it relates to our relationship with God? We should want from God what we need to hear, not just something that affirms our current mess or our current bad attitude. You know, God's love, he affirms us in his love forever and for all time that you are loved by God. But that same love challenges us to change. The very same love of God challenges us to not stay where we are. You know, we hear that phrase, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just fine the way you are. No, you're not. Neither am I. None of us are fine exactly the way we are. We've got a lot of stuff to change. There's a lot of things that we have to change. Just ask your family. You haven't arrived. So God loves affirms us and, and makes us um, comfortable and, and satisfied in our relationship with God, that we are secure in a relationship with God. But that same love challenges us. In other words, God is going to contradict us. God should be challenging us and, and, in other words, asking us to change. If God never contradicts you, you're never actually praying. If God never comes into your heart and says, like, you know, this thing, this thing you got going on right now, you need to stop that. What is that? That's a contradiction. D- doesn't God have a right to contradict us? Come on now. He should. Why? Because that's a way that we should be living. If, if the way of life is this way and we're living this way, don't we want to know to go that way? We should invite the wisdom of God. Hey, God, I need today's daily bread. And part of our daily bread sometimes was going to be, stop talking like this to your spouse. Yeah, but she, yeah, but he. Yeah, but you're contributing to the problem. By what you say, you're throwing gasoline on the fire by what you say. Marriage seminar inserted. So here we are. Let's read about the rich young ruler. And he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So we're going to find out later. This guy is a pretty wealthy guy. But how many know that he's asking a really deep question? But what's happening here, there's a little bit of a show going on. Jesus is there with his disciples. They're walking somewhere. And this guy comes down and kneels down. You know, it's just like, you know, if you have a really deep question, you don't have to put on a show. And you might, might be, make more sense to, hey, can I talk to you for a second, Jesus? Really, I'm really struggling with something. But here we could see that this guy is maybe putting on a little bit of a show. And we'll definitely see that with some of his responses. Verse 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Do you, you know the commandments? Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Listen to what he said. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. What's his answer? Yep, perfect. And a whole list. I've never told a lie. I've never dishonored my parents. Now, you know that's the lie for sure. Everybody, when they were a teenager, dishonored their parents. But this guy, no, kept it, Jesus. So what is going on with this guy? Pride, pride, pride. 
He's got the show going. He wants everybody to see that he's asking the deep questions of life. Jesus lists the majority of the Ten Commandments, and he's like, yep, got it all down. No problem, Jesus. Then what does he say? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, So he's going to say something to the rich young ruler that the rich young ruler doesn't want to hear. But how is he saying it? Because he loves him. And this is what we want from God. We want the hard words from God. We want the words from God that we need to hear and not just what we want to hear. The words that are going to go down deep in our hearts. It's going to speak to our attitudes and our thoughts and how we perceive life right down deep in our heart. And this is what we see in this story is that Jesus ultimately is not dealing with the man's state of affairs because he's a wealthy man. He doesn't actually have an issue with this man and his wealth, but he has an issue with the attitude of his heart. So what does he say to this guy? Looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now in this story, Jesus is not celebrating poverty. He's not saying poverty is a virtue. This is not the point of the story, as we will see at the end. Because Jesus took care of the poor. He wasn't uh, telling this man, make yourself poor. He was dealing with this man's heart. Over and over again, we see in the scripture, uh, Jesus talked about covetousness. It's not so much the state of your pocketbook. It's the state of your heart as it relates to your pocketbook. So Jesus was dealing with the attitude of his heart because Jesus, this is the only person Jesus said this to. Jesus dealt with a bunch of other rich people in the Gospels and he didn't say this again. But what he was dealing with was the greed and the covetousness in the man's heart. So let's see what Jesus continues to say. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, so they're there listening to this whole story. And then he says this to them, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So let me just say, you're all in trouble. Do you understand that? And I've told you this before, that all of you in this room are in the top 10% wage earners in the world. Even if you have a part-time job, if you don't have a part-time job, potentially you are, as soon as you get your first job, you're part of the top 10 of the world. Can you believe it? You are wealthy and you didn't even know, or you didn't think you were. So what is Jesus talking about? Let's continue to read because his disciples were just as confused. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why are they amazed at his words? Because they're Jewish and they're successful. Peter was a business owner. He had a, he had a boat. He had a fishing business. So they're like, Jesus, we're not understanding this whole thing. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is it is to enter the kingdom of God is for, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Why, why are they confused by what Jesus is saying? Because all that they're looking at 
is the riches of this person. Jesus actually isn't dealing with his riches. He's dealing with the heart and attitude of the heart. That this man loved his stuff and he loved himself. They're amazed. They're like, uh, we're really confused by this whole thing. Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man... It is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. In other words, a person cannot buy their salvation. A person is not justified or made right with their attitudes because they have a bunch of resources. So salvation is not of a person. Salvation is of God. This is the point he was trying to make to the rich young ruler wasn't about his stuff as we'll see here at the end of the story because jesus says at the end of the story that god wants us to bless us with all the things that he's telling the rich young ruler to sell so listen verse 28 peter began to say see we have left everything and followed you so now peter's trying to justify himself by like hey i used to own a boat i don't own a boat anymore jesus am i good peter missing the point love him but missed the point again Jesus, we're trying to prove our poverty because then maybe we'll get into heaven. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake, for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. So what is Jesus saying? He's like, hey, if you if you left something for the sake of the gospel, God is going to bless you back. He's telling him, you missed the point, guys. Listen, you're not going to leave. God is just going to keep blessing you. God is a generous God. We'll not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So what was he dealing with? This guy came. His attitude was, I'm first because I'm rich and I've kept all the rules. And Jesus is like, you know what? You just need a little humility. None of, none of who you are or what you have actually saves you. Salvation only comes from God. Do you see here in this story that Jesus dealt with the man's heart? Got right to the heart of the matter ignored the show, ignored the kneeling down, ignored the I am perfect, I've kept all the rules and said to him what he needed to hear and this is what we desire to have from God. Ultimately, this should be what we desire from God. God, what is it that I need to hear from you today? What is the daily bread that I need from you today, God? We should say this every day. Why? Because the daily bread leaves us to abundant life. The life that God has for us. The life that God desires for us. The Word of God produces in us what we need. The Word of God produces in us what we're looking for. The Word of God produces in us a harvest of abundant life. Thanks for listening. 
If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.